Psalm 33, verses 1 through 12. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the Word of our God stands forever. So this week we're going to start a, a, a jump out of Luke, a little mini-series. I hate to call it a mini-series because we're going to be here for at least 12 weeks probably. But we're jumping into a mini-series on the Ten Commandments. We're going to go in and, and work through uh, just a couple of introductory sermons and then go through one by one and talking about the Ten Commandments and what their role is in our life as, as a Christian today. But before I get into it, just quickly, you've got that little sermon notes section to, to think about on, on your own, what are some thoughts that you have or some questions you have about the Ten Commandments? I might ask you this question, you can think about it, we read it this morning, so we kind of cheated, but how many of the Ten Commandments can you name? How many of the Ten Commandments from memory can you say, these are the Ten Commandments? If you're old school, Sunday school, you probably as a child went through the Ten Commandments. I'm very proud of our Sunday school teacher this morning that the kids were in there learning the Ten Commandments. That actually, you'd be surprised to know, is not taught that often in our churches anymore. The Ten Commandments, things like that, have gotten shoved to the side, shoved to the back, and we're, we're about being good people, and, and, and things like the teaching of the law kind of have fallen out of favor. They're not in vogue in our churches anymore. So I might ask you to think about that. And, and to this week, think about, we're not going to get into the content of them very much this morning. So to think about, what, what, what are the Ten Commandments? What, what's the point of them? What, what relevance do they have in my life? Do they have any relevance in my life right now? Do I ever think about the Ten Commandments? If so, if I do, why do you and what do you think about them? And if you don't ever think about them, why do you not think about them? Do they have any meaning? Do they have any purpose? So think about those things. Write them down if you could. Uh, read through Exodus 20. Read through Deuteronomy 5, the second telling of the law. Read through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Ma- uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus' kind of reiteration of the moral code, the moral law. Read through those things. Make some notes. I'd love to hear so we can kind of address where you guys are with the Ten Commandments. But I probably need to explain why the Ten Commandments. We're in a, we're in a gospel narrative where we're going through the book of Luke. 
why in the world does Darren want to go to the Ten Commandments? And I think it's a fair question. And so I've got a couple of motives of why we're going to the Ten Commandments. And the first, the reason why we're going to go to the Ten Words or the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments is because of my love for the Gospel. My love for the Gospel. My love for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And if, if that causes your head to tilt a little bit, it probably, it's okay. But to understand the connection between why would we, if we love the gospel, if we love the good news of Jesus Christ, why would we go all the way back to Exodus and talk about God's ten rules? If, and, I'm, and I'm saying the reason why we need to know the ten commandments, we need to know the ten laws that come down from God, the ten commandments, we need to know them out of love for the gospel. You do not and you will not treasure the gospel until you, until you have an understanding of the transgression that the gospel saves you out of. If you have no concept for this is the way God desires life to be, this is the moral code of God, if you have no concept of that, if you have no idea what that even is, then the gospel comes to you and doesn't really deliver you from anything. The gospel doesn't deliver you from your own sins. It doesn't deliver you from condemnation. It doesn't deliver you from hell. It just kind of delivers to you another pat on the back or whatever you want to say. So it's out of my love for the gospel that we're going to go back to the Ten Commandments. And the second, that's the first reason, it's love for the gospel. And the second reason is out of love for you guys, honestly. That by one of my burdens as the time that I have up here, now a year in, but we'll see how long it ends up being, is that I, as a responsibility of being up here, give to you the whole counsel of God's word. That we don't want to just jump around. I mean, trust me, it would be a lot easier for me to go to Ephesians. It'd be a lot easier for me to go to Colossians. How about Philippians, which is just a book about joy in the local church. It'd be a lot easier to go there and preach six weeks in Philippians or 10 or 12 or whatever than to go to the Ten Commandments. But I was, they have a few things that beginning preachers should always try to get through. I've preached through epistles before, but one of the things is to go through a gospel. And so we're, we're working through the gospel of Luke, and one of them is to go through an Old Testament narrative. We almost did that to go through Esther or something like that. But one of them was to do the Ten Commandments. And I was back in the office praying, thinking about it, and it came into my head, well, we should do a series on the Ten Commandments. And my first thought was, I don't want to do the Ten Commandments. <laughs> well, I don't want to stand up here and talk about all the, the ten moral rules that come down from God. And, and Because what it really does, what going through the Ten Commandments really does, is it lays us all low. It's going to crush us. So, happy summer, everyone. Come to First Christian Church, and what we're going to talk about is how the law crushes us. I mean, honestly, I, it's counterintuitive. I'm, I, I'm almost just upside down enough that instead of doing blockbuster summer series, I'm doing come to church and let's really hear what this thing is about. And the law, what the law does is it lays you low. But the reason why we as Christians want to embrace the Decalogue, embrace God's ten laws, ten commandments, is because in the midst of the crushing that comes from the ten commandments, we get to hear the beauty of the gospel. Yes, you're crushed. Yes, you've not fulfilled. You're going to find out none of the ten. Yes, you have transgressed the law of God. 
And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. So it's out of love for the gospel and love for you. Love for you demands that I work to increase your joy in Jesus. And that's what I want to be about for every one of you. I want to increase your joy, not in this life. That's fine if it happens. Your joy in your relationships. I'm glad if that things hap- those things happen. And the gospel often does do that. But most importantly, that your joy in Jesus is increased. An accurate diagnosis is essential to true joy in the cure. If, if you go and, and you get your diagnosed with cancer and you go and you get some sort of major surgery to, to remove the cancer or whatever and, and, and they get you out and you're, you're delivered, you're, you're freed from your cancer, but they tell you all along you've got a splinter, you know, and so they're like, we, we got that splinter out, you're okay. You're like, okay, well, thanks, doc. I'm glad you removed my splinter. You don't have a lot of joy in somebody removing a splinter. But when you realize the gravity of what they did for you, your joy is increased, is it not? And so the reason why we want to dig into the Decalogue is to see the the, the Ten Commandments. I might refer to them as the Decalogue some. That's the Hebrew word, the ten words, Decalogos, Decalogue. Um, is, Is the true joy in what we've been actually cured from. Spurgeon says it this way, As the sharp needle prepares the way for the thread, so the piercing law makes a way for the bright silver thread of divine grace. Just as a needle prepares the way for the thread, so the piercing law makes a way for the bright silver thread of divine grace. So, and as far as our introduction goes this morning, here's our big idea. God is there. We should listen. God has spoken, we should obey. Big idea. (laughs) God is there, we should listen. God has spoken, we should obey. Question for you, is there such a thing as right? Is there such a thing as right? Is there, uh, and and if there is, I think most of us would say, well, of course, Darren, there's, there's a thing as right. If there is such a thing as right, who gets to say what it is? Who gets to say what is right? Do I, because I'm up here and I've got the microphone taped to my chest, do I get to say what's right? Do you, because you are the sovereign of your life, do you get to say what's right? Who gets to say what's right? And in our society today, isn't, isn't right just whatever's personally satisfying? If it's good for me, then it's right. If it's, if it's what I want to do, then it must be right. Doesn't right in our culture today mean right for you? Whatever's right is what's right for you. And on one level, this is a big philosophical debate that I'm not even qualified to get into with you. But to this, and I enjoy, I enjoy the epistemology uh, conflicts or discussion there and epistemology, the how we know what we know. But for our purposes this morning, we don't have time to explore every possible viewpoint and worldview. But instead, we're a Christian church. So all we're going to do is we're going to put forward what the Bible's view of this is. Is there such a thing as right, and who gets to say? Who gets to say? So I'm in a fairly competitive family, uh, and I think a lot of people, most people are. I mean, I don't, I, everyone says my family is real competitive, but I've yet to meet a family that isn't really competitive over some aspect of what they do. 
but I'm in a competitive family. We play games and we, we like to argue. Well, I like to argue over the games mainly. I guess it's me. Everyone else likes to enjoy the games. I like to argue over the games. And so I've ruined many uh, uh, family holidays and whatever uh, by playing a game with my brother and my father and then bringing out some minute rule about how the game is actually supposed to be played and ruined everything. You probably all have people like that in your life, one of those annoying people that uh, loves the rules of the game. We're honestly, almost more than the gameplay, I enjoy how a game is set up. I enjoy how, you know, how the rules are laid out and all the details and who goes first and what points are for this and all the details and all the rules. And So I'm one of those annoying guys who will stop a game in the middle of playing it and attempt to correct those that are in error or are scoring it in error. And so I'm a pro at ruining a good time with rules. And, you know, we, everyone, it's, it's called bag toss, but it's also called cornholing. You guys, you know, that game where you got the big old, and I mean, it's insane, but you can go to, I think it's americancornhole.com or something like that, that you can go and there is this giant, I mean, there's a whole website and association built up the American Cornhole Association or whatever about how to play this game. And honestly, folks, it's tossing beanbags into a board, you know, so many feet away. But they've got lists and lists and lists and lists of rules. And I love to play the game. It's one I actually can beat my brother at sometimes. So I play the game. But there's just a ton of rules to it. And when there's a disagreement, when now, if you're, you're playing a game with somebody and you're like, no, I scored this many points, and they say, no, this, this, what do you do? You, you, you generally get out a rule book, or nowadays you get on your phone and you, you Google whatever the rules are for this game, and it tells you how the game is played. Now, I'm not making some, I think it's kind of a lame interpretation to hold the Bible up and say this is our rule book. I'm not trying to say that, but in one level, what you are doing when you go to a rule book is that you admit this has a creator. This has someone who made it. This had someone who designed it, designed this game, has a purpose for this game, has an opinion on how it should be played, and has told us. That's what you do when you get to a game and you come into a conflict. You, you say there is a creator of this game, and therefore they have a say about how things can go. And you can think of it like this. It, all of life, all of our known world, the people in it, those of us inside of it, we are these people inside of the box. We, 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 we think, we talk, we educate, we look for meaning, we search for understanding, we do scientific research, we try to figure out how everything works, and all of it is all of us talking back and forth and communicating, all of it inside of this box, trying to figure things out. And if, if all that is, is what's inside of this box... Then, then we are and we all should be nihilists, if you know what that is, that basically say God is dead and nothing has any real meaning. We're all just stuck in this box trying to figure out things best for ourselves. And then, yes, right is whatever you want to be. There's no objective voice. There's nothing outside of the box. All is then subjective and therefore nothing really matters. Your right is your right and and their right is their right. And if they're in conflict, you better hope you have more power so that your right can overpower their right and you can have your way. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says from page one, sentence one, in the beginning, God. The Bible declares from us from the very beginning that there is someone outside of the box. 
There is someone objectively over top and above and outside of all of this. There is one who transcends. This is the subject of the teacher's complaint in Ecclesiastes. You ever read Ecclesiastes and get depressed about how sad he is about everything? There's nothing good under the sun. And he seeks all these ways to make himself happy through money, through wisdom, through folly even. Trying to make himself happy and find fulfillment. He says there's there's nothing under the sun. And, And what the teacher, what that philosopher is doing in the book of Ecclesiastes is admitting that if, if all we have is what's this side of the sun, if there's no one beyond the sun, everything is meaningless. But if there is someone outside of the box, if there is someone above the sun, then we should listen. And if that one who's outside of the box has spoken, we should hear and obey. Really, when we come to right and wrong, we have nothing to go on higher than the reality that God is and that he might have something to say about it. And that's where we come to when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to the Bible, the biblical view put forward. God is, he is there, and he is not silent, Francis Schaeffer says. He is there, and he is not silent. If God is, and we contend that he is, and that he is a personal God, seen in the concept that we all have personalities, it's safe to say that he does have a purpose, and that his purpose would be communicated to us. Our psalm we read this morning, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. But the counsel, I put the but's not in there. I put the but. But verse 11, in contrast, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. That God is and that God, yes, has a plan and has communicated to us. Otherwise, we become like the fool in Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 12. And Proverbs 16.25, you might write those down, think on those. They say exactly the same thing. But Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 say this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. There is a, right, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. As a society, as a culture, and let's be honest in our own hearts, we, we, they cry out to us to follow our own desires, our own plans, and our own feelings of rightness. We live in a day where we are either explicitly or implicitly told that we are the sole authority over our own lives. You do you. How many times did you hear that? <laughs> you do you. That you are autonomy rules our day. Autonomy. That's what we're all about. We're American, for goodness sakes. We, we are in charge of us and you're in charge of you and no one can tell you what to do. And we have, we have flipped this idea of responsibilities having some rights to it that we all have equal and unalienable rights given to us by our creator. And we flip that to where rights now trump responsibilities, who we should be, who we are, who our creator has even said that we should be. We live as our own sovereigns, but that is only possible so long as there is no one from outside of the box. If there is a transcendent one, we should listen, and if he has spoke, we should obey. So right from the prologue of the Ten Commandments comes this declaration. We read it this morning in our call to worship, but Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God. I am 
the Lord. Right from the beginning, right from the very get-go of the Ten Commandments, God declares that He is the Lord. There is someone outside the box. You know what? I know you're all sitting in church. kind of like, well, Darren, I didn't come to church to be told that God really is because I'm sitting at church. But this is an important point in our culture today, believe it or not. The reality that there is someone outside of the box, that God really is, that it is not just us. There is a transcendent being, and he has revealed himself. God has said, I am the Lord. And he goes on down through, we read it this morning, all the way through the Ten Commandments. We'll have several weeks to get through these later. But these are the words that God has spoke. This is the beginning of written revelation to us. What were the first words ever wrote down? These, the Ten Commandments. And they're wrote down, written down by the finger of God himself. Exodus 31 tells us that on these tablets, somehow God, in this language they use, wrote with his finger these ten rules. God, and in all of these laws, we'll get into how they work together later. But God is. If God has made us, it is an act of grace, and we should listen to him. And if God has spoke, it is an act of grace. We should obey him. The big idea again, God is there. And we should listen. And God has spoken and we should obey. There is only an authoritative voice when we first realize there actually is an authority. A couple of questions. If you're thinking along these lines and you've thought about these sorts of things, a couple of questions come up possibly. Don't we know what's best for us? Why, do, why is this transcendent whoever need to tell me what's best? Don't, don't we all know what's best? And that's really the assumption that's out there, right? Just educate people enough and, and get them out of poverty, give them the right circumstances, and they know, they, know what to, they know how to do right. No one knows what's good for you better than you do, we would say. You know what's right. You know what's good for you. Get you in all the right circumstances. Give you absolute freedom and autonomy and you know, authority over your own life, and you know what's best for you. But seriously, seriously, can you open up your newspaper and say we have any idea what good is? Can you look at the world news? Can you look at Mosul? Can you look at all these places going on? Even Indonesia, there's all kinds of things. The Philippines, that southern island of the Philippines, which is just going crazy, and the, the war on drugs in the Philippines, the, it's, just, it's nuts out there. Is it not? You don't have to spend three minutes in your world news report to realize that do we know what's best for us? No. No, we are fallen people. One of the great maladies that plagued God's people during the time of the judges, which the Sunday school, the, the, uh, one of the Sunday schools is studying, one of the, the indictments against them, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was a colossal failure. That's why it went terrible during the time of the judges. It's because they did what was right in their own eyes. Well, doesn't it make sense? Does not our culture ask us, don't we know what's right? Look at the book of Judges. They did what was right in their own eyes, and it didn't go well. We don't have to look far to discover that no amount of scientific progress no amount of character counts building no amount of mutual knowledge of others has increased really our goodwill towards each others each other this is what the fall has done to us interesting book that i looked up that was talking about studies of of just what man was about and what we were interested in and they got some honest answers about what our convictions were um and, and the, the study was, it was done in the 90s, so it's a little dated. It's 20, 90s is re, it's current to me, but it's a little, it's a little dated. But 
most people, this is some of the things they found out, that most people decide situationally whether it's all right to steal, lie, or drink and drive. We have no real heroes. Our admiration admiration goes willy-nilly, that's their word, not mine, our admiration goes willy-nilly to celebrities. We tolerate violence. Two-thirds say physical force is often justified. We pay little attention to our community. Two-thirds never give any time to community activities. And 72% of the people in this survey did not know the people next door. The book, this is an article about the book, it offers plenty of evidence that America's, Americans are materialistic and shallow. A quarter of those surveyed, for example, say they'd abandon their families for $10 million. 25% of the people surveyed said they'd abandon their families for $10 million. And they did follow-up questions, and they continued to answer affirmatively all the way down to $2 million. 25% of the people surveyed said they'd abandon their families for $2 million. Do we think we know what's right in ourselves? Asked what aspect of life they would change, nearly two-thirds of the sample say their wealth, a dream that extends to the younger generation. If the authors separate discussions with sixth graders, Separate discussions with sixth graders are any guys. They talk to sixth graders, and given one wish, most would pick money. Money. As one boy puts it, $5 million in two days at the mall. That's what he was hoping for. That was his big goal. Terrible. I mean, this is, this is, where, this is what we are got. We have a new Ten Commandments. It says something like this, I will steal from those who I don't think will really miss it. They don't need it. I'll steal from it. They'll never know it's gone. I will lie when it suits me, so long as it doesn't cause any real damage. I'm okay with lying. I will drink and drive. This is their words if I feel that I can handle it. I will cheat on my spouse. After all, given the chance, he or she will do the same. I will procrastinate at work and do absolutely nothing about one full day in five. It's standard operating procedure. This is some of the new commandments that they put out there. Do we know what's right? Don't we know what's best for us? And I think the answer is a pretty clear, no, we are a fallen race. I don't think you need much evidence for that. But also, isn't it arrogant? Another question that might come up, isn't it arrogant to, th- to claim that you know what's right? And this is a pretty common accusation, especially if you try to take a Christian standard, a Christian stand on anything. How arrogant of you to say that you know what's right? Isn't it arrogant to claim what is right? And this is the claim that's often lobbed at Christians when we dare to say, this behavior is wrong. But only when the self is the authority, only when the self is the authority by which right and wrong is claimed. If that, that's the only point that it is arrogant, is only if the self is the authority. It's wrong. A, a Christian who's out saying that's wrong because I say it's wrong is arrogant. But if we have the ten laws, if we have a declaration of right and wrong, it isn't arrogant to say we have heard from outside of the box. And he has declared something. Rather, the arrogant one is the person who says, that's arrogant, I know what's right. I'm the one who is the authority over my own life. That's the height of hubris, is the one who comes and says, I know God has said this. I know this is your, this is what, this is, this is the word coming down from on high, whatever. I don't care. I'm the authority over my life. That's the arrogance. That's the hubris that is prevalent in our world today. The Ten Commandments, therefore, play a very important role in our lives today. 
Gone is the, is the quaint pseudo-religion of Christianity. Gone is the benefit of having a belief system that doesn't really mean anything. It used to be just go be Christian, be a nice person. doesn't really mean a lot to you. That's disappearing in our culture. Christianity needs to mean something. And the, our culture, our society is looking for something of substance. People want real, substantial answers today. And I'm telling I, as one who works hard to make friends with unbelievers, people who reject Jesus, so that I can talk with them and understand where they're coming from, they're not out there just, they're looking for real answers. And my plea is that Christianity has real answers. We assert God does exist. We should give him attention. God has spoken and we should listen not because of some convenient platitudes or some cultural benefit, but because it is true, true with a capital T. Back to the big idea. God is, we should listen. God has spoken, we should obey. Why? Because this God has revealed himself. He has spoken. He has revealed himself. But also because this God in revealing himself and his plan for us has shown himself throughout the whole corpus of Scripture to be a God of mercy and love towards us. This is a quote from Thomas Watson. God commands nothing but what is beneficial. To obey God is not so much our duty as our privilege. His commands carry meat in the mouth of them. He bids us repent. And why? That our sins may be blotted out. The command to repent... Oh, that's harsh. Why do I want to repent? He bids it so that our sins would be blotted out. He commands us to believe. And why? That we may be saved. There is love in every command. As if a king should bid one of his subjects to dig in a gold mine and then take the gold to himself. This is what the commandments are to us. As if the king would command to dig in a gold mine and then to take the gold to ourselves. Ultimately, God commands for the good of his people. Last text, Deuteronomy chapter 10. God just says this plainly right out to us. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, For your good. For your good. God has revealed himself to us and he has done so for our good. God's revelation of himself does not terminate with the Ten Commandments. They are absolutely critical, essential part we're going to get through. But they do not terminate with the Ten Commandments. God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. This does not... The appearance of Jesus Christ does not do away with the Ten Commandments. We'll get into that in the following weeks. But it grounds that are our hopes. They are not in our own perfections, in our own keeping of the Ten Commandments, Though, because we're going to be crushed by them. We're going to see. Our hopes are not in our keeping of the Ten Commandments, but in the one human who truly did. Jesus Christ shows up and does not, stay, does not say that the commands of God are no longer important in Matthew chapter 5. He insists that heaven and earth will pass away before so much as a, a, an iota of the law will pass away. But he also says that he has come to fulfill them. Ultimately, we have a Savior who keeps the law's demands, earning righteousness for us 
so that we are liberated to, free, to live in freedom. We are liberated to live in freedom, not doing whatever we want, breaking whatever rules we want, liberated to live in freedom following God's commands and His will for our life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning just lay in our hearts again. There is, you are, <laughs> you are. You are the God who is. You are the God who has spoken. You are the God who is, so we should listen. You are the God who has spoke. Therefore, we should obey the whole counsel of your law. So God, work in our hearts this morning. I pray that even as we come to communion here, that God, knowing full well we are commandment breakers, that God, we would come to you not on a high horse, but in repentance, seeking the forgiveness, the mercy, the love, and the redemption that is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ, alone. In his name we pray. Amen.